0: Please be seated. Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. It is good to be here with you on this, the second. Sunday of Advent, and uh, before we kind of dive into today, let me just make a couple quick announcements. Uh, The first one uh, is just a reminder of our Christmas services, so um, um, we have a couple up there. Let me remind you of something else first. Well, actually, no, we'll just do this. I'll do it later. Family Friendly Jesus Jam uh, is coming on Friday uh, the 21st, so just remember, it doesn't say right there what day it's on, but it's on the 21st, um, uh, which is a Friday night. We're trying something a little bit different and this is for all of the family, Um, whether or not you are single, whether or not you have a family of 20, which is impressive, quite frankly, but whatever you are, we'd love for you to come and be at that. It's kind of a lively event, uh, and so the doors open at 6.30, and then at 7 o'clock it will begin. And then, of course, our Christmas Eve services, our candlelight services at 7, 9, and 11. If you want communion, you can come to the 11 o'clock service, and we will have communion there. Also, there's child care um, at the 7 o'clock service out of those three services. So I just wanted to invite you to that. And then secondly, um, some of you who are more observant, I probably wouldn't notice if I didn't know it was happening. Um, But I want you to know that um, we are getting a new uh, lighting system um, going on in here in the sanctuary. So now you guys are starting to look up. See, I noticed it. So the lights don't actually work yet. But they're there. Uh, but this week, this, all last week, they started putting them in. Next Sunday, um, we should have the debut. And you may be wondering, why do we need this? Well, if you look at the uh, like in the far corners are the people who are back there who are trying to hide, but especially when you look back there, here's a new word that I heard. I think it's just one word. It's called a foot candle. Uh, it may be two words. I don't know. How many of you guys know what a foot candle is? Yeah, okay, a few of you, but, but, but basically, uh, I don't really know what it is either, but here's what I do know, is that typically, in a sanctuary like this, you will have about 16 to 20 foot candles, uh, if that's the plural, um, and when you go back, especially in our corners, we have six uh, which means it's pretty dark, actually. And again, I know that you all back there love that, but next week it's going to look very different. Uh, and then you also know, as you look up here, you see there's a lot of light here, but we have nothing lighting like this over here or back over there in that corner. And there are times when we want to have that lit up. Uh, and so we are uh, then investing in a new lighting system that will help us. Um, some of these ones that are on right now will be taken down um, but we're very excited about that. Now I have to give you a warning. Here's what the lighting people told us. They've done this a lot of times and they said as soon as this happens you begin to hear a lot of complaints about a certain thing which are the stains on the carpet. All of a sudden because there's everything else is bright then all of a sudden now you begin to see all those things which is perfect for me as I be, as we begin to look at property plans and what we need to do right all of a sudden there's going to be lots of stains which is going to encourage us to make some changes right wow okay good don't worry we got plenty of time for that so I just wanted to give you a heads up I'll make the announcement again next week because hopefully you actually will be able to see the difference but I wanted you all to know about that and you can look up uh, foot candles later if you'd like to and, and and get even smarter all right So this week, uh, we are looking um, at a letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And so on this second Sunday of Advent, sisters and brothers, let's read what Paul has to say. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do gather this morning as sisters and brothers in Christ. And we gather with a certain amount of holy anticipation anticipating, Lord, the day when we get to celebrate the reality that you have come to this earth, that you came 2,000 years ago, and anticipating, Lord, your return. And so we thank you for this season of Advent that helps to shape us, to form us, to remind us of what difference it makes that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So when we kicked off um, Advent last year, or last year, last week, uh, we talked about hope. That one out of a couple hundred, that's not bad. We talked about hope. Uh, and this week, we're not talking about hope, we're going to talk about joy. And joy is something that most of us kind of like to talk about. We like to hear about. And so it's wonderful, you know, if you want to sell, you know, if you want to write a bestseller, you know, write a book on joy. People are always kind of searching to have more joy in their lives. But at the same time, I have to be honest with you in saying that it's kind of hard to know how to talk about it because you can't really just tell people be joyful and expect them to just be able to do it right unless I suppose you're Paul because that's basically what Paul does Paul commands them to be joyful he commands the, the people of Philippi the church there he commands us as followers of Jesus to be joyful but I don't think that's easy to do. And there are many folks in our society, of course, who are, who are struggling, who are always trying to find some sense of joy or perhaps some sense of happiness, right? And, and, and we find it oftentimes through pleasure or entertainment, maybe through watching something or going on vacation or what we eat or drink. And we, we think that that will bring some sense of happiness or joy. But what we oftentimes discover is that that happiness, it's not even really joy, but that happiness only lasts as long as the television show is on, or as long as the vacation is continuing, or as long as the taste of the food or drink is on your tongue, and then after that, it's gone, and you have to try to get another happiness hit, right? This is so often what you see in our society, people going from one place to the next, but happiness is is really not even joy because what paul understands to be joy has has nothing to do with the situation in which you find yourself we we went through the letter to the philippians a little while back now so you may remember this that paul when he writes this letter to the philippians he is in jail he's in jail and yet 14 times in this relatively succinct letter, he uses either the word joy or rejoice. In other words, Paul knows that joy is about much more than simply uh, whether or not things are going well for you Right now. And so, as I continue to try to wrestle with how to address this and how to help us to kind of see what it means to be a people of joy, I came across this quote by a guy named Henry Drummond. You may have heard of him before. And what he says is this he says that joy, like all fruits, must be grown. Joy, like all fruits, must be grown. And if you know the spiritual, you know the the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. Joy is a fruit, which means, of course, that it takes time. Just like a, a piece of fruit, you can't force it. How do you get a piece of fruit to grow? By and large, you plant a fruit tree in good soil... You water it from time to time. You make sure that it's getting plenty of sunlight. You do what you can to try to ward off any kind of disease or insects. And then you wait. And you wait and you wait, and you tend to it, and you cultivate it, and you defend it, and then you wait. It takes time for fruit to grow, just as it takes time for joy to grow. In other words, you can't force it, but what you can do is you can tend to it, you can cultivate it, you can try to protect the joy in your life, and you have to be patient to know it will take time for joy to begin to flourish In your life. And in many ways, when we look at this passage, this part of the passage from Paul, what we begin to see is that Paul is not actually just commanding us to be joyful, he is giving us the tools in order to do so. It's easy, kind of at first blush, when you look at this particular passage, uh, to think that what Paul's doing here is getting towards the end of the letter, is that he's just quickly trying to give us some things before we leave. It's kind of like I was imagining, it's a bit like um, um, when one of your children is about to drive for the first time without you, and they're about to go out, and and so quickly you're trying to give them all of this information. Don't text, you know, look both ways before you drive across, you know, make sure to, uh, uh, um, you know, don't talk to your friends while you're driving, you know, do this do this don 't don 't drive like your father, things like that and so so this is what Megan will say and so so just before they leave you 're trying to give them as much information as possible and and it would be easy to think that that 's what paul 's doing right okay before you go um uh, be joyful, uh, be thankful, uh, be gentle, think about good things all right, goodbye maybe that 's what paul 's doing, but actually. Paul is beginning to slowly but surely show them what it takes to begin to be a people of joy. So what does he say? He says this. He says, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. All Right. This was something that we talked about just a few weeks ago. As a brief observation, in case you're curious, you probably aren't, but if you are, The most positive response I got when it comes to being shaped like Jesus was around this topic of gentleness. And it wasn't because it was any kind of stellar sermon. It's because of the fact that as we said on that day, gentleness is not something that we talk about very often. And yet, in listening to you all, what you knew is that gentleness had shaped you in some way. The gentleness of someone else had had a massive impact on most of us. And it was something that is very hard for us to have, right? It's very hard, I think, to be able to be gentle. I didn't think about it when it came to joy. But, but, but then there was this guy who wrote this book, um, uh, Earl Palmer, who wrote a book um, about Philippians. And one of the things that he does is he says, Well, no, there is this direct correlation between gentleness and joy. And he said, here's the thing. When you are being harsh with someone, more than likely, if you are a harsh person, you see other people in a negative way. Right? You are able to point out the things that you don't like and you tend to deal with those in a negative way. And as Palmer says, here's the reality. If you look at people and the first thing that you see and the thing that's always on your mind is something negative, then more than likely, it's the way that you look. It's the lens through which you see everything. Not only that, but there's a good chance that it's also the lens through which you see yourself. People who are harsh... Tend to not just be harsh to others, they tend to think of themselves in that same way, and they tend to see the whole world in that way. And the old, there is no way for you to be a person of joy if when you look around at the world and at others, the first thing that you begin to see is what is wrong with them, rather than beginning to look at things with grace and with hope and with love. And so, what Paul is saying is, hey, If you want to start with something really practical when it comes to trying to cultivate joy, the very first thing, maybe the way that you can plant it is this. Begin to be gentle to those around you. Begin to change how it is that you see people and your world. So gentleness leads to joy. But then Paul goes on, of course, and right after he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, he says this. He says, Jesus is near. And there's a lot of debate as to what that means. Does that mean something chronological, like soon he's going to return? Does that mean that he's spatially near? What exactly does that mean? And, and, and we can debate that. I don't really want to. Let me just say briefly It certainly means being aware of where Jesus is at work. This is something that we talk about quite a bit because we think it's important. That the more that you see where Jesus is at work, the more likely you are to be joyful Right? When we talked about gratitude, we said you have to notice, you have to pay attention. It's why we, we, we talk about the spiritual practice of the daily examine, where at the end of the day, look back and say, where did I see Jesus? If you want to be a person of joy, begin to ask, where is it that I am seeing Jesus alive in my life? But not only that, since it's Advent, let's focus more on the fact that Jesus is near, that Jesus will return one day. This is what we talked about last week when it came to hope. Remember this? Uh, I gave the analogy of the marathon, and when I saw the finish line, that finally then it changed how I was, right? Rather than kind of struggling or rather than shuffling, all of a sudden I was moving to a faster shuffle. Why? Simply because of the fact that I knew it was almost over, that I had confidence that I would actually be able to finish this run and what there's this great line when it comes to joy that Eugene Peterson says about the future and what he says is that joy is oftentimes borrowing from the future let me say that again that joy oftentimes borrows from the future what does that mean well what it means is again much like with hope That a lot of times our present day emotion or how we feel is dependent upon what we think is going to happen at some point in the future. This week I was, um, like many of you probably, I was doing a lot of reading uh, about George Herbert Walker Bush. A president who, who passed away. And as is oftentimes the case, you, you end up finding out a lot more about someone once they're dead uh, than when they're actually alive, right? And so, so I was doing a lot, of, a lot of reading about him or watching things about him. It was very, very fascinating. And, but I have to say that one of the things that struck me most out of all of those things was hearing more about his daughter, Robin. The three-year-old daughter who passed away from leukemia. And, and I, was, I was really touched by just how much that impacted his life, right? For all of the rest of his life. How, how he and Barbara, before she passed away, like it was, it was, there was always this sense of knowing that and, and feeling that pain. And, and so the thing that probably t- impacted me the most, quite frankly, at least emotionally, was, was this week. Maybe you saw it. It was this comic strip that Gary Varvel, or not comic strip, but this cartoon that, that Gary Varvel for the Indy Star did. You can see it um, right here. Um, and it's a sense of George being there. And, and I love, I mean, the, the way that you see... Robin there right like a three-year-old this just just a sense and and I know that Marshall Ramsey another political cartoonist also did something very similar it's clear that this was on people's minds and as I thought about this there's two things that I thought about when I saw this right one of course was just this was just this reminder of, of the grief that they had felt over all of these many years but the other thing, of course, when you see that, you can't help but feel a certain sense of joy, right? The sense of kind of being reunited, that at some point, right, they were able to be reunited. And as I was thinking about that, one of the things that reminded me, of course, is this, is this, is this fact that I have walked with, as probably many of you have, I have walked with parents who have lost a loved one, who have lost a child. Maybe the child was very young. Maybe the child was even middle age. Or I remember um, and when I was in Pennsylvania pastoring there, there was a a man who was in his 80s, and he lost his, uh, his son when his son was only a year and a half old. But when he began to talk about it, the tears would continue to kind of come. And, and But what I've noticed about that is that those who are able to have, even amidst the struggle of that, who are able to still have some sense of hope or joy, are those who who believe that at some point, for those of us who follow Christ, at some point, either when Jesus returns or after we have died, at some point we will see them, that death will be no more, that mourning will be no more. And that the only way for us to be able to have joy that lasts now is when we borrow from the future. When we know that no matter what it is that we may be struggling with, that there is this great hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Now you may be saying to yourself, oh, that's not true. You can't borrow from the future. Well, let's look briefly then at what Paul says next. What does Paul talk about next? He talks about worry or anxiety. And what is worry or anxiety if it is not borrowing from the future? That's all that worry is. It is borrowing from the future, but it is not borrowing a confidence or joy. It is borrowing the sense that something bad is going to happen. I know it. It's going to be a bad diagnosis. It's going to be a child who goes wayward. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. That's all that worry does. There is no killer to joy like worry. Am I right? And all that is is borrowing from an unknown future. You're saying, oh, I just don't know. I don't know if God's really in control. I don't know if this is going to work out. And it's taking all of that that may come at someday but probably won't and bringing it right now. And so we have a choice for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. We're all going to borrow from the future. The question is, what are you borrowing from? Is it a confidence in who Jesus is? And that Jesus is going to return and that there will be a time where there will be no mourning and no more death? Or are we going to give up on all of that and just be a people of despair and say, Well, it's going to be bad. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to do everything I can to be as miserable right now as is humanly possible. We all borrow from the future. The question is, which future are you borrowing from? so we we think, how do we cultivate? How do we water? How do we get sunshine? How do we we fertilize? How do we do all these things for joy, right? We do it perhaps by beginning by a sense of how do we look at one another and and can we look at them with a sense of grace and gentleness? We do it by asking the hard question of what kind of future are we borrowing from, right? You do it from other things like being thankful and by praying as, as, as Paul writes as well. But the last thing that I want us to look at is what Paul tells us to think about. What, is, what does Paul says, uh, say he, as he comes in here? He says, think about that which is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, and commendable. Now, it's important to know that this isn't just kind of mentally kind of thinking about it. That's not really what Paul means here. There is a certain amount of just kind of like mm, thinking about it. But it's also more about what are you being soaked in? What are you surrounding yourself in? What is your environment? And is your environment, is it helping you to think truthfully, to think honorably, to think justly and purely and in a pleasing and commendable way? Or is it taking you away from that? This is not just how are you thinking, but in what environment are you placing yourself Right? One of the ways that I like to, the analogy I like to give that I've told you all before is when I lived in uh, Grove City, Pennsylvania and how I was by far in the best physical shape I've been in since I was in high school and the reason why I was in the best shape I've been in since high school was not because I, I sat there and just said, i got to work out today, i got to not eat much today, i got to do these things. No. Right? It's because there was nothing good to eat in that place. Right, there were no great restaurants, quite frankly. There was there was nothing like that. I had to drive to Cranberry, which is like forty five minutes away. I knew I was gonna waste an hour and a half of my life. I mean, I did it sometimes, but I didn't want to do it frequently, right? And not only that, they the, the only really this is being horrible. But, but the only really great thing to do there was to work out. They had a wonderful YMCA, which, man, I love the YMCA. If there's anybody here who would like to partner with me and helping a – you, and by partner, I mean you pay and I will work out there. Um, 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 you know, it was this great why, right? And I just – I love going there, right? But because of that, right, I mean, it helped me to be in the best shape. Some of you weren't here when I first came, so let me remind you what I look like. Um, um, this was me. <laughs> Now, you've seen this picture before. I like to put it up once a year uh, in hopes that actually at some point someone will really believe that that was really me. Um, Don said that this was my face on his body, which is also, you know, could very well be true as well. Uh, So, okay, I didn't look like that. But I am telling you that when I moved here, within six months, if that long, I had already gained 15 pounds. And it wasn't because I sat there thinking, i got to bulk up. I have got to bulk up. No. It's because all of a sudden, right, there was Bob's and there was Red Robin and they were right there. And there were lots of other things to do other than work out, right? So my environment changed. And because of that, I changed physically. Well, what Paul says here, it seems to me, is when you think about joy, if you want to change, right, then you need to think about what is your environment. And is it encouraging you to think about that which is pure and just and pleasing and gracious, or is it pushing you in the other direction? So I was thinking about that, and, and one of the things that I 've noticed is I think about how, what am I surrounding myself with as is, is I was thinking about television shows right I don 't know this is something that we oftentimes maybe talk about or think about, but uh, um, uh, like many uh, folks today, what, what Meg and I tend to do is we, we get into one show, and because you can watch you know a whole season or whatnot, we tend to watch like a you know, a, few, a few episodes a week until we finally finish it off and, 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 and oftentimes these are on Amazon or, or Netflix and. Um, and one of the things I've noticed, it seems to me that Amazon Prime and Netflix, that they are really reacting or responding to shows from long ago that were incredibly sappy, uh, that avoided all difficult issues. They were just kind of like uh, uh, Mayberry-ish, if you will, right? And everything was just kind of like great and wonderful. And what Amazon, uh, uh, Amazon Prime and Netflix have done is they said, oh, no. We are going to take on every difficult issue there ever has been. And I feel fairly convinced that if an alien were to be able to tap into these shows, when they looked at earth, the only thing they would think of is this whole place is cynical and hopeless and evil and violent. There is nothing good. And what I noticed is that as I watched some of these very cynical, hopeless, joyless shows is that I was shaped a little bit differently when I got done. And what I've realized is that I have to shape myself differently. Now, that doesn't mean that we avoid difficult issues or struggles or pain. No. I mean, that's, that, that's important for us to wrestle with. I've said that before as Christians. We, we, we take those things head on. But I do realize that I have to watch more what it is that I'm watching, what it is that I'm surrounding myself in. Is it making me a person who is more full of joy or less? But, of course, it's not just whether or not we're watching those things it's, or what we're or surrounding ourselves with. It's also who we are surrounding ourselves with. Uh, w- one of the things that, that, that Meg and I are realizing, and, I, and, and we always say this is true, but it is true, is that as your kids get older, especially, right, you're, you, you, you're very concerned about who their friends are. You want to make sure why, because you know that friends have an enormous impact on shaping your children. But what maybe we don't pay as much attention to is almost equally our friends as adults shape us. Now, they may not be, you know, helping us to like, you know, skip school or or go past our curfew or or steal something from a convenience store. Those are all just hypotheticals. But but what, what they might do, though, is they might help you focus only on what's going wrong in the world. What they might do, I find this oftentimes with particular friends, is is they might, whenever you're with that person, you're always talking negatively about others and finding the faults in others, right? Or perhaps they're encouraging, perhaps they're bringing hope. I had a friend of mine, a guy I knew at seminary, who I didn't know very well. But as I looked at him, his name was Ryan, and he was just a good guy. And, I mean, you could, the people were just drawn to him. And, I mean, there was just something that was always encouraging and gracious about him. And, and so I knew that I needed to be more like him, quite frankly. And so I said, hey, can we grab a meal together? And we did. And then I hung out with him as much as I could. My guess is, you know, it was a little creepy to him, right? I mean, there's a reason why he's never accepted my friend request on Facebook. but I knew that when I was with him, right, that that was an environment, that was somebody, right, who pushed me forward and made me more joyful, more hopeful. And, there, and there's a bit of me that thinks even as adults, we might be wise. Sometimes we have, oh, but we've known that person for so long and, and we have these friends. And the question is, is are those friends, are those people, are they pushing you to be more honorable, more just, right, and more pleasing and commendable? Or are they pushing you away From those things. I think sometimes we just think we either have joy or we don't, and oftentimes it depends upon where we find ourselves, but Paul says, no. Paul says, stop waiting for everything to be great in your life and then say, then I will be joyful. Paul says that you can do some real watering. You can do some real fertilizing. You can do some real tending and cultivating if you are a person who is going to be gentle to begin to do that practical thing. If you are a person who, says, who thinks about what future am I borrowing from. If you are a person who thinks about what it is that you're watching. I want to encourage you. For me, it was Amazon or, or, or Netflix. For some of us, and I, I'll be careful what I say here, but it's the other shows that you're watching. The television, the news shows that you're watching. If there's one thing I know, and it's always funny because if you're on the right, you think it's MSNBC or CNN. If you're on the left, you think it's Fox News. I'm here to tell you all of those things are fear mongerers by and large. And it would surprise me if most of us, after watching four or five hours of that, left, stopped, turned the TV off, and we're in a better place than when we started. And so perhaps if you find yourself increasingly joyless, maybe we can minimize that, at least some. Cut it down from eight hours a day to one or something, right? To minimize, to begin to change and to say, where are those friends that I can reach out to? Who are the people that I know that I say, this is someone I want to be more like? And how do we begin to find those people? Now, what I want you to know is like most things, just like with hope, not only will joy shape us more like Jesus, not only will joy make us a more joyful people, but it can also have a huge impact on the community that is around us. I was reading something uh, by Gordon Fee this week, and Gordon Fee says this. He says, in a world where fear is a much greater reality than joy, Our privilege is to live out the gospel of true shalom. I like that. Our privilege, right, is to live out the gospel of true shalom, wholeness in every sense of that word, and to point others to its source. We live in a world that is going from one happy fix, one happy hit to another, hoping that if they just can be happy enough, if they can go on enough trips, if they can make enough money, if they can drink enough, if they can eat enough, if they can do this or that or have a nice enough house or car, if they can just do this, then they will be happy. And it is a, it is a passion or it is an achievement that will never be, that will never occur in their lives. And what we have is an opportunity to share true joy as an Advent people. We have a lot of great events coming up over the next two weeks. Next Sunday, we have our children's choir, the Sunshine Singers, and the youth choir who will sing a song as well. The following Friday, we have Jesus Jam, right? Which open, well, the doors open at... 6.30 and it starts at 7. Then two days later, we have our cantata here at 9 and 10.30. And then the next night after that, we have a services at 7, 9 and 11. It's slightly depressing, but it's also it's also great opportunities to celebrate. I think sometimes we as Christians, we don't celebrate enough. And so what I want to encourage us is to come to those things in a sense of, with a sense of anticipation. That no matter what you might be facing, no matter what struggle you might be in, to come with a sense of anticipation saying, we're going to join together to celebrate the fact that Jesus has come and that he is going to come again. And what I want to encourage you to do is to invite someone to come along with you to invite someone to come and to hear the joyful noise, to hear our children or to hold a candle or to celebrate during the Jesus Jam on Friday night. Whatever it is, invite someone to come and know that we are in a place and in a community that needs to hear about the joy of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And may we slowly become a people whose joy points to the one who has come and to the one who will come again. May we be that joyful people. Amen? Amen.